yeah, I'm I, I, I'm I'm a member of many groups of fans of particular artists, Bruce obviously being one. And um, and it's lovely when I find podcasts like the podcast that y- you broadcast because it's just like hanging out with a couple of good mates and list- eavesdropping on a conversation about someone you love, something you love, and you don't you you, you you you're leaning into the conversation, and all of a sudden, I can I can be listening to you, and 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 I I'm almost like I'm interrupting you. I'm saying no, no, hang on a minute. What about what you, yes. you're not considering that album? Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. Joining me today is my new friend, Sean Rowley. We've already been talking. Uh, I, guys, this may go long because <laughs> I, I, this we are having a fun. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Sean. How are you doing? Jesse, thank you. I'm doing really, really well. I'm located over here speaking to you live and direct from the UK. It's uh, and it's it's a it's a lovely spring day as I look out across the garden. That is great. Yeah, this is a timey wimey episode. Uh, my morning, your afternoon. Uh, it's <laughs> always fun. Um, so we have a lot to talk about. So let's get right to the beginning. Tell us a little about yourself. Okay. So I'll, I'll give you a very brief potted history of, of who I am, um, minus, the, minus the Bruce detail, because I think I've got a feeling, you know, knowing how you run your, your, um, your podcast, I, I, we'll get stuck into the Bruce stuff. All That's right. the main course. Here very we go nice. with the, the mouge bouge. Ah, I love it. <laughs> um, I was born in 1961. I was uh, brought up in a suburb of London, just outside of London. I'd like, I like to, in a romantic sort of way and connecting me to Bruce, I like to think of it as my, my version of New Jersey, but I don't know about that. But I was brought up in, in that area. I remember sort of just being a huge fan of music from a kid. There was, the radio was constantly on. Records, music wasn't really in the house through my mum and dad until the early 70s when my dad uh, had a little bit of cash and he went out and he bought he bought a music system and uh, I'm sure that there are listeners to your podcast of a certain age who will know exactly who can picture it straight away it's like a sort of smoked glass top with a record player uh, a cassette player and a radio tuner it's combined it was like it was it was the height of technology and my dad bought this it was like it was like the pride of the house but we actually didn't have any records to play on it so i remember him i was with him one saturday afternoon when we went into the local town and there was a record shop and i walked into the record shop and it was wow there's records there's lots of records here and my dad walked up to the counter and he said i've just bought a music system and he said i want you to recommend three records that i can take away with me 
And that day he bought uh, the Beatles Abbey Road, Simon and Garfunkel's Bridge Over Troubled Water, and James Taylor, Sweet Baby James. And I, we took those records home and I never stopped playing those records. Those records became, I knew every groove, every bump, every crack, every popple of those records. I, that it was just totally ingrained in me. And I fell in love with music in that moment. And then, um, yeah, as a kid growing up, well, the thing was that I didn't really embrace the music of the time. So if the early 70s, early and mid 70s was dominated in the rock world by sort of what we tend to call over here in the UK prog rock, I don't know, you know, like bands like Pink Floyd, Genesis, yes. If they were the order of the day, that wasn't floating my boat. I was, I, so, so as a, as someone who needed to hear music and want, wanted to be inspired by music, I found myself drifting back to the music of the 60s and then even further back into the music of the 50s. And again, another sort of cultural phenomena that was occurring in the UK was like a nostalgic trip back to the 50s. So in the mid 70s, the, the mid 50s was the coolest place to be. And there was imported TV shows, the likes of Happy Days was like a big show in, in the UK. And, and I was really drawn into this. This was big. And then I went to see American Graffiti, the movie at the uh, at my local cinema, and it just blew my head. And I was just engrossed in this music of 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 another period. I didn't want to know about music of of. I'd go into school and people would be talking about Led Zeppelin, and I sort of wouldn't even know who they were. I wanted to talk about Elvis and Gene Vincent, Little Richard and Eddie Cochran and other such ilk of that ilk. And pretty soon I sort of got on board with contemporary music as not so much punk, but new wave kicked in and it felt like it was a little bit more lively. And then, and I'm just going to give reference to this and we'll come back to it. Then I had my connection with Bruce and it was via a TV interview that happened that was aired in the UK in 1978. Um, and I was totally on board with Bruce. But I know my personal side of my life was that by this point I was leaving school and oh, the, the other thing that was hand in hand with my music obsession was I was really into sport and it was very big in like competing. I was like, I was a member of my local swimming club and athletics club and I was running marathons and really getting into sport. So uh, there was a connection that I had whereby that took me off to become uh, a physical training instructor in the, in the police force, believe it or not, for a number of years. And then that sort of came to an end because of, because of injury actually. And that sort of put, put pay to my, um, my athletics career. And so I sort of started to think about, well, how can I take my obsession with music and try and turn it into something that I could make a living out of? And I wormed my way into starting to work for a record company and I became a, uh, a plugger uh, in the mid eighties. This was a job that was basically my task to get bands, uh, new bands and their new releases on either the radio or the TV. And I was you know, pretty good at that. And then I sort of got started to run out of steam and lost enthusiasm for that and found myself almost like a sort of secondhand car dealer, just trying to push bands on radio. And it was just, I, did, I, I felt like it was draining my love of music. So I did a quick switch and went over onto the other side where, whereby I started, I became a, a, a music booker on a TV show, 
we've had a late night talk show presenter by the name of Jonathan Ross, who was like our equivalent of someone like Letterman was in the USA. And I became the guy who booked the bands that appeared on the Jonathan Ross show. That so, is amazing. Uh, I know Jonathan Ross because of Fool Us. You know, he hosted two seasons of Fool Us. Absolutely great guy. I That would be someone fun to visit with. I, I want to go back just for a moment. Please do. The the three the person working at the record store picked three pretty damn good albums. Didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> they did, didn't he? He did. He, uh, and they were. I mean, they, they, if if I, if you would have pushed me into a corner, I'd probably come and say, "What are your three? What, what are your top?" 10 favorite albums of all time. Yeah. Probably all three of those would figure in there. I still adore all of those records. Yeah. I, I just think, you know, I, as you were telling that, I was like, wow, those, I mean, a, a pretty good albums of the era, but also good albums that have stood the test of time. They so have. Amazing. They have. And they, do you know what else about them to get a little bit sort of train spottery about them? Yeah. The, all three of them are absolutely stunning sonic records. They are the uh, the record the rec, the quality of the recording, and I think that that's probably what the 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 guy who was working in the record shop because my dad was slightly boasting about this music system, and it's like, give me three really great records that will sound absolutely amazing on this sound system, and that's sort of why we ended up with those. Yeah, I think that was it. Um, the other, you know. I remember seeing American Graffiti and the same thing, blown away. Um, and I also know, you think about it, that you could make the argument that changed the music business because it was the first soundtrack. As in, hey, let's not a uh, orchestra Henry Mancini doing music but let's take pop hits and put them on and then sell them as a collection i i remember loving that movie um and then also just the soundtrack because i'm i was born in 59 so you and i are almost the same age right and that i grew up on top 40 radio i uh, I was missing Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and all that because I had an AM radio that I lived off of, you know, so all the ELO and Elton John and Barry Manilow and Foreigner and all these, you know, top 40 hits. So, yeah, I, I just I, I love that American Graffiti did that for you. Oh, man. I remember, you know, do you know what, Jesse? I, I, even now I can picture myself. I went to a double. It was like a double screening of uh, it wasn't at the time of release. I think the, I think the release is about 72, 73. I probably saw it 74, 75 as a double bill with Car Wash. Okay, the, and and American American graffiti was on before car wash, right? And American and I listen. I was I was up for car wash. I I, yeah. I, I I'm I'm a huge fan of of seventies uh, disco as well. So yeah. I was I, you know I went along to the cinema. I'm pretty sure I went by myself. I'm I remember sitting there and my legs were up and it wasn't very busy. It was an afternoon show. And as that film unfolded, I just, it, I think my mouth must have dropped lower and lower as, as I marveled at 
what it was saying to me. And I think what I got from it was this just ultimate sense of freedom. And it was almost like I was looking at those characters on, on the screen and projecting obviously myself into there and, but not as well. And it was like this fantasy land. That's what I think, um, Coppola was a really produced brilliantly well with it. It was like 20, as anyone who's not seen, it's 24 hours in the life of a bunch of kids in a small, sleepy Californian town. And it's, and it's graduation and they're not too sure what they're doing with their life. And I think it might have connected for me at that brilliant moment of adolescence in one's life where you're going, I don't really know what's going on here. But you're not, you know, if, if someone's trying to map out a path for you, you, you don't particularly want to take that path. You're going to find another route out of it. But the music, what you said about the music, that was it. That was it. And Wolfman Jack, man, you know, it was, it was like that character, that the, the, the late night DJ, which, of course, is then as my story progressed, progressed, I became a DJ. I became in my dreams. I became Wolfman Jack. What, um, so it sounds like you went through many of us, you know, like many of us do, you go through different jobs and going through, um, I, I talk to me a bit, little bit about working with, uh, Jonathan Ross. I I'm sure you maybe didn't work with him directly as much, but what, what were some of your successes in booking people? Cause I mean, mm. this would be right. This would be like Late Night with David Letterman or The Tonight Show or Live with Jimmy Kimmel. I mean, it's, it's that type of show, right? Yeah, but to tell you the truth, Jesse, what this show was, the show that I worked on with Jonathan, we did two seasons of. Um, okay. It wasn't ridiculously successful. Okay. Um, but I, but you, 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 were, you were grasp exactly what, what was what the format of the show. It was basically the British version of Saturday Night Live. Oh, okay. Very that, nice. That, and it was called Saturday Zoo. Okay. Uh, uh, and it was live. It was a live broadcast. Oh, and, exciting. And there was and it was comedy and it was stand up and there would always be a band. There was there was a band that was featured every week and that was my task was to locate the band. I mean there's there's a whole load of sort of uh UK centric bands that that took to the stage, but I'm just trying to rack my brains of of American flavor of we had Lenny Kravitz on we had the oh, nice who's on um, it was uh, and uh, uh, jo Jonathan was actively involved Jonathan would would always sort of you know you you had to get the thumbs up from Jonathan in order to, to say that's the band and jo yeah he, he's he's a top music man he loves his music and always has done in fact he's career started as a music researcher on the uk equivalent of soul train he used to, oh, he used to really? go out and find that. that yeah 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 that was so he started behind the scenes working on that so yeah and it was it it was really good fun it was a good it, it was i mean again it's you're drawing a parallel with something like saturday night live which is obviously a huge american institute but it was it was our little attempt at that Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, 
or even if you have but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good well now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Yeah. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report. And you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Did, um... You talk to me about how you ended up, um, because obviously you, you, you've uh, spent a lot of time behind the mic being a DJ. So how did you tell me a little about your journey to become a Wolfman Jack in your mind? <laughs> in my dreams. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay. So it was a, the, 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 the next step from music researcher on the Jonathan Ross uh, Saturday Zoo show was to then go off and work a number of jobs behind the scenes in music okay. production. So I ended up doing this little stint at, at uh, MTV Europe. I ended up uh, working on a sort of late night, um, how could I describe, anarchic TV show that was called The Word. Um, that went out in the UK. And again, it was the format that was sort of com comedy, music, okay. uh, live. It was it was pretty thrilling stuff and I was enjoying it all. Um, then I had a little bit of a moment whereby I went slightly in a diversion of um, wanting to do something for myself, wanting to, to, to sort of come up with something creative for myself. And it led me down a path that uh, ended up with me getting my uh, radio show commissioned on BBC Radio One. Now, I'm sure you, a lot of your listeners will will know that the BBC is said it pretty much the main national 
broadcaster in the whole of the UK. So, so it's one station, okay, oh, sorry, one sure. network and a number of stations that transmit all across the UK, not just regional, but it bangs it out. So it's like, it's a big deal. Radio One is a big deal. Okay. And how I got that was <laughs> um, a long-winded tale that I will condense down to the fact that I was a bit of a chap around the club scene in London in the mid nineties. And I was enjoying going out and I was, you know, I would get the opportunity to DJ out in clubs because I was a guy who had a good record collection. So people would ask me to go out and play records. And, uh, so that connection led to, so should we say, uh, an interaction with, uh, the showbiz elite so is, is not okay. a term that I'm trying to, I'm just clutching at straws, trying to come up with a better, with a better one. Band how long winded story short is that some of the biggest bands in the UK at the time, uh, were bands like Oasis, uh, the solo performer, Paul Weller. And I got this golden opportunity to go out as a tour DJ and play records before the bands would go on stage. This led me into thinking, and you know, I was we were hanging out together, and uh, this led me into thinking that well, sometimes the, my, my I was having these experiences where you'd go back to people's houses and you'd sort of be rifling through their record collections and you'd be playing music, and I thought there's 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 something in this. There's 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 almost like a because what I've always loved about my obsession with music is. Just to touch on Bruce slightly at this stage is sure. you know, one of the big things about Bruce was the, the 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 connection that he gave me back to music that he was doing cover versions of and going off and finding like the original versions and so I was I'm always been up for you know you might like one artist but that artist will then lead you down a path and you will start opening up doors to a whole world of music that you'd never heard before so there's a connection between you know, sort of rock stars and pop stars that are into music that like to talk about music. So I put this down as a format and pitched it to Radio One. And the format was, why don't we go around these famous people's houses and rifle through their record collections and get them to choose the records that they like to listen to when they're relaxing at home. And the show was called All Back to Mine, as in, why don't you all come back to mine? And the Radio One went, yeah, we like it. And it just so happened that the one of the guys who had agreed to do this was Noel Gallagher from the band Oasis, who were okay. pretty much one of the biggest phenomenons in sort of the mid nineties in the UK. I know they sort of came over to the, to the U S and sort of registered slightly over there, but this, this, this was big news. So the first show that I put together under the banner of All Back to Mine was broadcast in 1997, Christmas Day, it went out on Radio 1. So that was my, <laughs> my first radio show was on Christmas Day on the national radio station. And I was like, and that was it. I was off and running and it was, uh, uh, we developed it as, a, as an idea. It then knocked on to a be, becoming a TV show. From that, I was then w up and running and working as a radio presenter, presenting shows on stations such as BBC Radio London. And that's the moment where I really was Wolfman Jack because I was my first show that I, I hosted, you know, literally as a DJ, as a presenter um, on BBC Radio London was the late night show. I, w I was broadcasting between the hours of one o'clock at night and six o'clock in the morning on, oh. on Saturday nights. And I, 
I, I couldn't I couldn't believe it. I was pinching myself and I had a free reign. I was that was it. I could I could play anything I wanted to play for five hours. Man alive. Was that a thrill? Oh and, I bet. Um, yeah. I and imagine. that was me that was me arriving at my Wolfman Jack moment. Do um I, I love the premise. You know, people have have asked me and and I've told this story multiple times. There is a local sports station that um does talks you know all the different dallas and other sports stories and one of the guys is in his 70s his name is norm hitzkus and you know he's been in this business forever and he tells the story that if you talk to nolan ryan who is a famous baseball pitcher about he has uh he's he's had more strikeouts than anyone else and he's pitched no more no hitters than anyone else and so if you try to talk to dolan about his no hitters you get a very polite kind of routine answer but if you ask him about the home runs he's hit which is only like two or three his face lights up and he talks and i always think that if i had a chance to talk to a member of the e street band or or someone of quote unquote celebrity I would try to ask them the questions that people don't ask. And I think <laughs> the idea, right, of why is this album, why do you have the soundtrack to Xanadu in your album collection? Oh, I love Xanadu. I went to that, you know, right? You could hear that story. Like if I had gone through your uh, record company, I go, oh, you have the soundtrack to American Graffiti. Oh, Jesse, let me tell you, right? So I love that concept. I bet that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it 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 it, it was again. It's a, a, a succession of like pinching myself moments of thinking, "Hey, yeah. this is my job. I'm getting paid to do this, and getting paid yeah. to 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 spread the word about this thing that I truly, truly love." But what's really interesting, Jesse, the way that you just brought in there. Uh, a reference to something like is the Xanadu soundtrack yeah. because that was where things started to tip into something else because there was always this thing that I had uh, with music which was it was almost like if your mates came round your house and you perhaps you'd been down the pub or a bar and you'd sort of go yeah come back to mine and we'll we'll, we'll get some takeouts and we'll we'll carry on the, the, this moment and we'll put music into the mix and you'd be flicking through the record collection and you'd pull out and you go i didn't know you had a thing for barbara streisand <laughs> it was like it was like there, there was there was this part of every i hold that everyone's got it and it's it was the next thing that was the development of where things went for me next, which was to look at those records that people slightly felt, let's just say a little bit ashamed of, of owning that they might hide when they knew their mates were coming around instead of putting them to the front of the pile. And the term guilty pleasures had been knocking around a little bit. And I'd heard it as a reference to, to other things. And I thought, and this is what I brought into my radio show. I thought if I can, I know, I'll be, and the record. I brought in a couple of records on the radio show, and I said, "Look, before I play this record, I know it's a little bit naff and cheesy, but you know what? It's actually a great record." And something like, for example, 
Andrew Gold's never let us slip away. Right. Now, I'm sorry, you're a cold-hearted man if your heart does not melt to that record. And I was so I started to play those sort of tunes on there, prefacing it by saying, This is this is, I guess, what you one would call a guilty pleasure. And it just snowballed, it just took off, it flew. It was like every time I play one on the show, the 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 switchboard would light up with people ringing in. I thought at first they were ringing in to complain. It was the opposite. They were ringing in to contribute their guilty pleasures to the mix. So pretty soon I had a this format that I was running with and uh, Sony came to me. They'd heard that it was quite a success on the show and said, do you want to put together a compilation album? So back in the uh, early 2000s, I put together the first Guilty Guilty Pleasures compilation album. That just took off like no one's business. And pretty soon I was out DJing in clubs playing these records. And well, to tell you the truth, that was 17 years ago. And I'm still doing it. I'm still going out under the banner of Guilty Pleasures. I've got a gig. I'll be leaving here my conversation with you and going off to do a gig in London later tonight. I tra- I've traveled well. I've just come back from Australia with it. Um, we've, we've released five compilations along the way. I mean, it's basically turned into my job. So the, so that little moment, that Xanadu moment was my moment of really a snowballing effect that just took off. You know, Terry Smith, um, who's been on the podcast multiple times, does an episode called Music Talks, and it's an absolutely beautiful podcast. What he does is he asks his guests to pick an album, a song from every decade they've been alive, and then they that leads to a conversation. So, like, um, you know, your first episode, you know, you would pick a song from the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, 90s, all the way up, and he talks about often. He's he believes and he understands why people use the phrase guilty pleasure, but to him, there's just pleasure, right? If the song, if you love, like, you know, um, can't smile without you, Barry Manilow, I, I you know, it makes me smile, right? It, it you know, I, I, you know, uh, I remember singing, you know, trying to sing Weekend in New England when he hits that high voice on Manilow uh you know I um there there is just so much music brings you joy and there is so much in this world even before we got a pandemic before we've got this rise of of just unkind conservatism I'm not saying I don't want to get too political conservatism in itself is not a bad thing the idea of less government doing things I I understand but this mean-spirited governments that we're seeing in the U.S. and and I don't I can't speak to the U.K. but based on things I've seen right it just we need joy in our lives and whatever we can do to get that that doesn't hurt someone else we should go for do you know what Jesse, uh, 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 tick box every every yeah. everything you just said there. It, it is about the joy, and yeah. you know that's you need to take time out of it from it, and you, you know uh, out of when the shit hits the fan. Excuse my language. You no, know, it's and fine. You, you really one needs those moments. Music is 
is everything. It's just yeah. that. In fact, you know what? I was hearing something the other day. I was I was I was listening to a woman talking about the. Um, uh, sorry, it was a professor talking about the you know the the, the really important aspect as far as mental health goes of movement she was just talking about movement yeah. and she was saying and she was using music as an example of uh, you know how one can use movement in you know without it being like oh i've got to exercise it's like yeah. music can provide that and she and she she said she was the and it was almost like she's she's done the science to back it up and it was basically that you know when you listen to a tune uh, a recorded tune and you really go with it and you're in there it's not only in the background you're committing to listening to it and you can feel the music you can literally feel the music in your body and what you're getting and you will feel joy rise from that moment and the reason is because you are forging a connection to what has actually been recorded so you in a, in your own way will have a connection to the musicians who have laid down the track in the studio all those years ago because it's alive you're listening to it and you know the the more we use that the the better we'll be absolutely so um you've kind of alluded this but Tell me the story of how you first found Bruce and what about him spoke to you. Okay. Wow. Well, okay. So yeah, re, you know, as, as I was reflecting upon, there was this moment in the mid seventies where music, contemporary music, as in rock music, AM music was, was working for me big time. Yeah. I was loving everything that was coming out of the radio. But, you know, as you go into that moment where you're, you know, you, you're perhaps becoming a little bit more serious about things and your, your peers around you start reflecting the music that you want to, you think, oh, I should be listening to that. So whilst my mates were listening to, as I ran through the roll call before, Pink Floyd, Genesis, yes. Led Zeppelin. It just wasn't connect. I was trying. I was mm -hmm. trying because I wanted to fit in, but it just sure. wasn't connecting. Anyhow, yeah. Again, as I alluded to, music of of yesteryear was the thing that I was being drawn to. Anyhow, there was a, a DJ that was on our radio stations. In uh, there was a London radio station called Capital Radio. He was the drive time. DJ and he his name was Roger Scott so he would broadcast on this commercial radio station between three and seven every single day and every Friday night between six and seven he had a segment of the show called cruising and cruising was all about as you it was like the, the sort of the UK version of American graffiti whatever that might be mm -hmm. uh, and he would play music from the 50s and the 60s and one week he went okay so I'm going to do a special one here he said you know I'm you may not know this but I'm a bit of a fan of this character called Bruce Springsteen now at this point Bruce wasn't really figuring in the UK, he was a cult figure, major cult figure. You know, born to run the single, I think it got to 96 in the chart. You know, it wasn't, you know, the album definitely made a few waves when it was when it was out, but it wasn't a big seller. Right. So, you know, Bruce wasn't a wasn't a staple figure of daytime radio. So Roger Scott proceeded to play an hour's worth of music that Bruce Springsteen covered 
in his show. So he, you know, it, you know what the roll call is. It's yeah. Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. Sure. It's the Dovells, you can't sit down. It's Gary U.S. Bonds, quarter to three. And literally, I and I've still got the cassettes where I used to tape these. And it, I just sat there and I thought, and it came to the end and he went, he referenced it again. And he said, you yeah, know, the reason I've just played all of those is because these are the songs that Bruce Springsteen has cited as an influence on, on, on his music. And I just thought, I need to find out about this guy. That's, that was my first step in. And pretty soon I was, I, I, well, if I bought, no, I'm, if I bought the, f- the first album I would have bought was Born to Run. Right. Um, but then something, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I know I've heard other um, uh, contributors on your show sp- speak like this. It, it wasn't completely blown away. It wasn't okay. like a sort of, that wasn't the moment. Okay. So I, I, was, I was sort of slightly on the edges. And, and then what happened was in 1978, there's a TV show that was running on, the BBC, on BBC Two called The Old Grey, Old Grey Whistle Test. It was presented by a UK presenter called Bob Harris to give him his full name, Whispering Bob Harris. And Bob was a massive Bruce fan and he had managed to get a camera crew over to the Madison Square Garden where uh, Bruce was recording uh, the No Nukes uh, footage. Mm -hmm. So what happened was in the UK, the first time I had, yeah, we got to remember this is pre-internet, very obviously, but you know, we, we sort of forget about that age. We forget about the moment where you you don't, you know, you 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 can be a huge fan of someone, but you don't actually ever get to hear them talk because they they're, they're over there in America, and we we've got no access yeah. to anything that's happening in America. America's like this dreamland, and we you know, so so Bob Harris going over and interviewing. Bruce Springsteen, he's in the backstage, it's after the gig. And yeah, and he was basically saying to Bruce, he's talking about the influences and Bruce is talking about Mitch Ryder and Gary US Bonds and I'm like, and this is it, the moment it's happening. And then they play the Rosalita clip from No Nukes, which I watched it the other day again. Right. Man alive. If ever you want proof that rock and roll is a good thing, that's the moment. That's the moment you can turn to because it's just got everything. And if you think about it, you know, if I'm, if I'm stating that, you know, prog rock and, and its type are not connecting for me, it's because I want this primal spirit of rock and roll. I want it. That's what I want. I want, you know, an extension of Elvis and Jerry Lee Lewis and the Beatles. Uh, that's what I want in my music. And that's what I saw when I saw Rosalita performed at No Nukes. And that moment where those at the end where the girls jump up on stage and they've sort of mobbed him and he's obviously loving it, but he's obviously getting a bit freaked out because he's being knocked to the ground and he can't actually get up. And he manages to stagger up and he, get, he stands in front of the mic and he does that almost like brilliantly, like a comedy, like double take where he, he goes, hold on. And he, he puts his hands up and he, he's literally telling the audience, for God's sakes, just calm down a little bit so that I can yeah. get on with my job. And that to me, that was a bing moment that was it that was it i was in i was in the road to damascus moment 
Well, the, 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 then, yeah, that that was it, and and then there was well the first first live experience, and the first live experience was in June of 1981 when I went to the River Tour, and that was that really was the sealing of the deal. That was yeah. that was everything. So, Sean, uh, I always like to preface this with the amount of times you've seen Bruce is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are, but, uh, have you, do you count how many times you've seen him? I, I, I just, I just went on my fingers. Yeah. Uh, seven. Okay. I've done, I've done seven, seven gigs. Shall I, shall I rattle through them? Sure. Does that that sounds sense? great. Okay. So June 81, um, I'll set the scene for your American listeners. So you, we, we in the UK, we haven't got many stages. Well, certainly in the 70s and 80s, we didn't have many stages. We've got, sorry, we've got football stadiums. Um, but like that, that sort of arena culture that you guys had, um, right. probably, yeah, you know, a, a sprinkling of those across, across the UK. So Wembley, there's Wembley Stadium, which is, the, the huge football ground, um, which sure. would, would hold probably, I think back in the day, the capacity was about 80 or 90,000. Uh, but next door to that is Wembley arena, which holds 25,000. Um, so the first gig first, just as for aforementioned was the river June 81 Wembley arena. Then I ran, I, I was able to see the next three tours. So I went to born in the USA, 4th of July, which was just mind blowing, came out and did Independence Day as yeah. the opening tune. Um, then I saw Ton of Love, the Tunnel of Love again at the stadium at Wembley Stadium. Then I missed, uh, th then I took a little hiatus from my, my, uh, my gigs. And I saw the next time I was back was October 2002, back in the arena for the rising. Um, and then was very fortunate to see Glastonbury uh, when Bruce headlined on the Saturday night at the, at the, the Glastonbury Festival on, in 2009 on the Working on a Dream Tour. Uh, recently went back to uh, the Wembley Stadium to see the, the, the River Revisited Tour in 2016. Mm -hmm. But, oh yeah, I was there at Watercur. I, I, wow. I went to Broadway. Um, I got a ticket and in 2018, I flew over to New York and I saw that, which was really amazing. Mm -hmm. That, that, that's amazing. Did, um, what, tell me your thoughts on Broadway. What, what were your oh. feelings? It's a funny one, you know? Yeah. It's a real funny one. It's a funny one. Um, I flew over um, with one of my best friends and we, we got the tickets and it was February and we arrived in New York. So we, it was two really close friends on a weekend in New York. We both fathers. So it was, you know, it was yeah. in fact, my, my mate brought his, brought his uh, teenage son with him, which was a really lovely treat mm -hmm. as well. But we got over there and it snowed and mm. it really snowed. And on the day of the gig, it dumped it. And I was like, and we would, we, we were, I, I think we, I can't, I, I just said to my friend, 
in the morning of the gig, I said, we've got to get to that theatre. We've got to get there and we've got to make sure that we're there in the area. Because right. I, I, you know, we've flown from the UK to see, we're not missing out on this because we can't get to the theatre because sure. of snow. So we set out on our journey. It was like Scott of the Antarctic. We set out on our journey and we got there. We got our tickets. We held our tickets in hand. We went off and we just sort of killed a bit of time. And our gig was on. We were in the theatre. I had just phenomenal seats. I was probably about eight rows from the front centre. It was, it, it was, it was, it took my breath away to the point whereby I can't remember too much. I know this sounds crazy, but to have that experience, it was almost like the shock of being in that intimate surround and having that experience was, was almost too much to take. I didn't, yeah. I, it, 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 and I remember, and I had this awful situation whereby there was a, I think what had happened because of the snow, there was a few people that hadn't been able to make it. And so there was a net, two empty seats next to me, right just one minute before the, the, the show started. Then all of a sudden there was two people sitting in the seats. And I think that they sort of pulled them down from, from, from further back and said, go down the front, like, let's fill up the seats at the front. Yeah. And the guy, the guy had been drinking and he was, if I, I, I could use words that I shouldn't be using. He proceeded to chat to his mates. Can you imagine? And oh. I had to get to this point whereby I, I had to really sort of like keep my own cool and just go, I've got to let this go because this yeah. is not, this is not helping things. The experience was fantastic. I actually was so thrilled about it. And we came out, me and my, my pal Pedro, and we got that we, we were walking back and we didn't talk. We, we couldn't talk. It, it, the, the experience had taken our breath away just, so much. And we got to the bar and we cracked open a beer and it all just came out. And we just literally sat and we spoke. Well, I think we just chatted for, for a couple of hours. Yeah. I think that the, the, the thing for me that is, that is so enriching as the experience to have that has really come out in anything that Bruce has been doing in the last, perhaps it's decade, I'm not sure, is his, the way he talks about his weaknesses and his vulnerability, um, the, the way, you know, obviously through the autobiography uh, and then through the Broadway performance, there's something so human that you, you're getting a connection with. You, you, you know, the... the, the I, I, I quite often wonder if he is really the most human rock star. I hate that expression, but the most human rock yeah. star that, that, that we've had the experience of in our lifetime, because he really is willing to go that distance and talk about the vulnerabilities because it's, and, and, and I'm so indebted to him for doing that because it's helped me in my life to tell you the truth. Um, it's, it's, it's allowed me to not shy away from a lot of things that have shaped my life, you know, relationship with yeah. the way Bruce talks about his relationship with his parents. I, 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 I find that incredible. And the, the, the other part of the, the, the human Bruce story, 
I use quotations. Yeah. Um, the other part of it that I'm just in awe of and was, again, another facet of the, um, the Broadway experience is because he brings Patty on most nights. And right. man, that relationship, that relationship. I, I mean, I'm in a long-term relationship with my partner and, oh, just that relationship just melts my heart. I'm sure they have ups and downs. Sure. But all marriages do. All marriages do. But that, that commit, that, that level of loving commitment that I see that exists between the two of them and his relationship with his kids. Yeah. His relationship, but it's really the, the, the thing that's, that's touched me most that has come out of, you know, going to, to the Broadway and, and hearing him talk about his life, reading the autobiography is the relationship with his father. That yeah. really is a, a something that, um, I can, I, I, I can share as well. You know, I, I, um, my father was an alcoholic and he's not with me anymore. Um, I'm very happy to say that I sort of made amends in my life to his, to him. And yeah. uh, when he did pass, which is probably about 10 years ago, I sort of re felt like I'd reached a point of, of ha a connection with him that mm -hmm. I didn't have for many, many years. Yeah. And when I read and hear Bruce talk about his relationship with his father, I, it strikes a chord. It really does. Yeah. Just, I agree. He shares so much of himself and, and I, I love that honesty and in the, the just directness of it. it it's, it's really been a blessing to see. Um, so I, I want to make sure we have time. You have a new project that's coming out. Talk to me a little bit about this. Yeah. Again, another pinch. I can't pinch myself. I can't believe it projects that I'm, I'm involved with. So uh, a while ago, um, there's a, there's a, there's a tribute band in the UK uh, that is a Bruce Springsteen tribute band with a bit of a difference. I don't know if you've heard of them. Uh, it's an all female tribute act and they go by the name of the She Street Band. Okay. <laughs> and I got, I, I got an opportunity. I got actually got asked to DJ for them. <laughs> so in okay. my mind, I thought this is the closest I'm ever going to get to DJing for Bruce. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> so, so I took the gig and, uh, I, and obviously I, I, I played my Bruce related, uh, DJ set before the she street band came on and they came on and I went out into the audience and I stood there watching them and just you know, smiling, thinking, yeah, this is great. And they're really, really good musicians. They're all yeah. like, um, they're all session musicians who have sort of bonded over their love of Bruce. And one day decided to put together this tribute act called the she street band. And as I was watching them, I was thinking, now, hang on a minute. This is, this is more than, this is more than just good. This, there's something else going on here. Yeah. And what I connected was that the songs of Bruce Springsteen sung through the prism of a all female tribute act brought a slightly different twist to the songs, the songs themselves. Yeah. It's not all of them, but certainly some of them started to just give something else to it. 
And I was really fascinated by what this was, what this thing was. I'm a huge fan of cover versions, massive fan. And in fact, and of course, a cover, a great cover version should always bring something new to the party. You shouldn't, right. you shouldn't, you shouldn't just be hearing, oh, look, that's that song sung by someone else. It's like a great cover version does that. A really good example of a great cover version for me is, you know, the Carpenters track, uh, We've Only Just Begun. Sure. Okay, written by Paul Williams, originally a, a TV advert sort yes. of uh, recording uh, for like a, um, a, a bank. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like it was a couple moving into a house and it was like, we've only yeah. just begun to live. Okay, so take that song and put it in the hands of soul singer Curtis Mayfield, who who covered the, 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 that track live, uh, in the seventies and without him changing one single word of that song, he turns it into a civil rights song. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's, it, he, he's, he's brought his own thing to the song and he's just transported it. So that's a gr- that to me is a great cover version. So right. that's, a, that's what I look for in a good cover version. And that's what I sort of got this sense of like, oh, there's something else going on here when you listen to women singing Bruce Springsteen songs. So I was hosting a show on the BBC at the time and I put it out there to listeners and people started suggesting these female fronted cover versions of Bruce Springsteen songs. And I started putting them together. And then I thought, hang on a minute. This is a, there's, there's something in this. There's a concept in this. So I, I pitched it to a record label that we've got in the UK an amazing, like one of the best reissue uh, labels in, in the world, I, I would add. Uh, and they're called Ace Records. And I said, here's an idea. How about we put together a compilation release of female fronted Bruce Springsteen songs? And they went, yeah, let's do it. And we've ended up, I'm very happy to say, with 19 absolutely stonking tracks. And the CD is out now. Yeah. Uh, so what's the name of the CD? <laughs> I, I, I played upon a, a, a title of, of something else. I've, I've called it Ladies Sing the Boss. Ah, that is perfect. You, you can yes. see what I did there. Yeah. Um, I, it is an absolutely amazing collection. You, you sent me a link. I got to hear some. Um, you know, you have a diverse amount of artists that some you will go, oh, yeah, I recognize that name like Patti Smith. Darlene Love, you know, Lucinda Williams, but there's others that you go, well, ooh, who is the shovels and rope? Who is, uh, you know, <laughs> Piney Girl? So talk to me a little bit the process yeah. of picking what songs and what versions and just share a little bit about that if you could. Yeah, well, yeah, obviously through the joys of the internet, I was able to, to spend a lot of time researching this. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big vinyl uh, record dealer and I, you know, okay. I spend a lot of time on sites like Discogs. And, you know, you, you can locate pretty much everything that's ever been recorded. Mm-hmm. So I just started trolling and I was like, that was it. I was off and running. I was, I was going down rabbit holes and I was finding co- connections to, th- there's a lot out there. And it's, it, it just boils down to this thing of, you know, w- w- what are the best ones? 
um, in, a, in a very practical sense, who can we get clearance on? I think of everything that I requested, uh, as as far as I remember, oh no, there was one artist who said that they weren't willing to get to get involved in the in the project, and that was Joan Jett because Joan Jett had obviously recorded. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Remain in Light, which was the title track to a Michael J. Fox movie. Yeah, Light right? of Day. Yes, Light of Day. Thank you. Yeah. So that was that was the only one that we we okay. we did we didn't get a. Uh, 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 an approval on and pretty much everything was just like the the the, the top ones that i could find and uh, and I, I really appreciate you connecting with the fact that there was a, that there's what i wanted to do was get a, a like a real spread of musical styles across the collection right. as well so what you get is like the beautiful soul renderings of betty levette and her performance of Streets of Philadelphia. Um, you'll have a country twinged uh, moment with Emmylou Harris doing My, My Father's House. Mm -hmm. But what I've noticed, and you've alluded it to it a little bit earlier, is you know th these th there's there's been a, there's a, like a generation of if I use the term indie or alt you know female performers that yeah. they, 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 you know where i'm coming from they, they, they're, they're slightly out of the mainstream um there's a singer called lucy dacus who does a beautiful rendition of uh dancing in the dark uh soccer mummy and i'm on fire is another one the uh, the, the guys you reference shovels and rope and their version of johnny 99 um i, I why would i, I the more i dug deeper into it. I was finding that there was a general, basically a generation of female singers. <laughs> and it's, this is yeah. so brilliantly obvious where, where this goes. There was a generation of female singers that were coming of age in like the, in the last sort of, yeah, I don't know, uh, ten, yeah. in the last 10 years, so to, so to speak. And of course they'd grown up with their dad's record collections. So sure. Bruce is just huge for them in their lives. And so whenever they get to do a performance of a Bruce song, whether it's live or they cut it as a cover version, they've usually got their dad in mind. Um, but they, and again, as, as I mentioned in the sleeve notes, with that version of Dancing in the Dark, Lucy Dacus, who, who, who actually performs that, you know, she says uh, it, it's really, really nice the way she came to it because she says that Bruce was number one in her house when she was growing up as a kid and was, you know, to the point whereby she wasn't interested, you know, as a coming of age as a teenager, she didn't want to hear about her dad's record collection. She, you know, she wanted like, oh, great teenagers should, they should rebel against their, their parents' taste. But then she said that a few years later, when she heard dancing in the dark again it was like she was hearing it for the first time and and i'm quoting her now and she says i remember listening to dancing in the dark like what it felt like for the first time when he sings i want to change my clothes my hair my face i had yeah. never and this is the bit i had never heard a man express discontent with their their appearance like that i thought that low self-esteem was reserved for young women like myself all of a sudden i was not alone so that to me is a beautiful sort of roundabout oh, way is. of coming to to bruce and again it's that tapping into that thing we were talking about just before 
It's Bruce's willingness to share his vulnerability. And yes, it might be dressed up with cars and girls and all the other cliches that people use when they go, oh, I don't really like Bruce Springsteen. But that's because they're just seeing the superficial light sort of icing on the cake. When you get in there, you will find a man who is very vulnerable and just trying to find his way in the world. I agree, Sean. Um, so where is the album available from? Where, if okay. someone wants to order it, where is the best way? Okay, so if you are a uh, uh, someone like myself who still likes to go into record shops, please go into your local rec record store, and if they haven't got it, get them to order it in. It's available on CD now, uh, but you can pick it up if you, obviously you can pick it up online from whatever outlet you choose to use, but if you want to, you can go to the record company that are putting it out, and that is acerecords.com and you will find a copy of it there waiting okay for you. i will include that link in the uh show notes um what's next what's next for sean what's next is tonight i'm going out and i'm spreading the joy of music uh, with a dj set down in london uh under the banner of guilty pleasures and i'm off doing a number of festivals across the summer Oh, I'm just a man who's just in love with the job that he does. That is awesome. That is awesome. Um, gosh, we've 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 had such a good talk. Um, what what are you? Are there anything else you're searching for? Anything? Any Bruce? If you when we see Bruce live again, are there songs that you are still chasing? You want to hear? There are, well, since the last time, obviously, the last time I saw him full band performance was back in 2016 with the the revisited River. Mm -hmm. um, so there's been, you know, there's been a fair bit since then. I, I am such a huge, huge fan of Western Stars. Yeah, I, mean, I love that. That yeah. album just blew me away. And I would adore door to see a performance of any of those tracks on there because yeah that was some that 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 was that that was so brilliantly out of the blue wasn't it it was like i know he's been sitting on a lot of that music for a long time but just that moment when that i remember and I, I was on holiday when that arrived that album so mm -hmm. i just fired fired it up on spotify and said said to my wife i said i'm just going for a walk along the beach and i Oh, I just listened to that album and yeah. that was it. I fell in love. I love the film, you know, oh, just seeing so that good, I, I wanted it? to be in that barn so badly. I, I just love it. Um, this is great. Uh, any you. final thoughts before uh, we get to the Mary question? Is there any thoughts on Bruce? I mean, the, it's funny, you know, because I feel like, like we, I'm going to see McCartney in a few weeks time because he's headlining at Glastonbury and it's pretty obvious that'll be the last time that I probably will see Paul McCartney perform live. Will it be the last time that I see Bruce perform live the next time? Oh, do we, are we going into this, this chapter really? I mean, you and I, we're, we're, we've, he's got, What's he got on us? 10 years, 15 years, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. He's in so, his set, or 72. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. So he's like, I don't know about you, but it's, is it, is it an uncle? Is he, is he your, you know, when you try and figure out, cause he's been such a major part of my life Yeah. and each release 
felt like it was talking to me at that point in my life. You know, so many, so many connections that I had that were going on. So yeah, I'm, it's that, you know, and the vulnerability that he's expressing in this part of his life, I feel very connected to. So let's, I'm, I'm, I'm just on board for the journey. And as it unfolds, it's, it's a wondrous thing. Yeah. Sounds Uh, awesome. I I almost feel emotional. No, I get you. I get you. All right. Um, Listeners, if you have joined us because you are a fan of Sean and his different projects, thank you for listening. I end every episode with the Mary question. Uh, Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher, recently retired in the Philadelphia area. And he would, when he was teaching, he would take two days in his honors English class and they would spend it breaking down Thunder Road. They would look at all the lyrics. They would talk about the imagery Bruce is using, the themes Bruce explores. Uh, he would compare this to Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken, and other, other uh, poets. And then at the end of the class, he would ask the question, does Mary get in the car? So, Sean, <laughs> that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? No, no, I've never seen Mary get in the car. No, no, okay. it's, 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 he's getting out of town. It's, it's, it's always on the move. Um, okay. At that point, at that point of the story, if you, if I was to reflect on that song now, Mary's in the car. Do you know what I mean by that? It's like yes. the, the transition of the character and where it's at. So if we were, if Thunder Roll Road was a new release and it was coming out on the new album, she's definitely getting in the car. At that stage, no, nah, she's not getting in okay. the car. But Jesse, you've just made me think of one story that I want to, if, if it's okay to share with you. Yes. Because you know what? I'm, I'll probably never get the chance to share this story. All right. I love it. It's, it's a Thunder Road themed story. So, I, I almost should I share it? Hang on, it's oh, quite, gotta share it now. It's quite personal. Okay, I might get in contact with you afterwards before you air this and say, do you know what? Let's not let's not have that story in there. Could you cut it? All so right. I, so uh, I'll give it what? to you. I'll give it to you with the proviso that if I get in contact with you afterwards and say, no, please don't put that out. You'll you you'll want, cut it. Do you want me to? stop the recording or no 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 okay, no okay. you record it and then we'll, okay then, yes, and then, so we'll... then absolutely you can call me back and say <laughs> yes so okay so the, i was i was a right single ma- i was a single man at the time okay i'm giving that i'm, a, I'm add, adding that to the mix okay and it was 1990 and i was in uh australia and i was on holiday it was Christmas time. It was 89 into 90. And then we were, and I was with a group of my best friends. There was five of us, uh, male and female. And we all went over to Australia for a whole month. And I just had this encounter with this woman. <laughs> and this, this encounter involved this, she, there was this moment where we, we were in a club in Sydney. And she said, Do you want to come back to mine? And I was like, Wow, this doesn't happen that often. And here yeah. I am on, on the other side of the world. And who am I to 
refuse yes. the advances of a beautiful Australian woman. The only thing was that going back to hers as she, as we headed back, it was which was like this sort of it was it was on the suburb in the suburbs of Sydney, was that she, she didn't tell me that we weren't actually going back to hers because she lived still lived with her parents oh, no. and where we were going was we were going back to her aunt's house because her aunt happened to be out of town and she knew that that house was available and we arrived at the house and at which point she, i was expecting her to pull out a key and she didn't have a key and she said no you've got to break in oh no so, so she said but it's okay you don't have to break any window i know and she lifted the latch on the uh, it was like a one-story type yeah. of house with a porch and the one-story house it, so i went in through the toilet window and went to the front door opened up the front door went in and proceeded to spend a very beautiful romantic experience with this young lady and just before we were drifting off to sleep it was it was australia and me i know you're in texas in yeah. 90 degree heat but i'd never experienced heat like that so all the windows were open and all the doors were open and there was a screen door that was open on the porch oh. and you know what happened we were just drifting off to sleep and the screen door slammed <laughs> and i went holy shit and i was transported to a moment where i was in the song so thunder road means a lot to me <laughs> i love that that is awesome that is so so great and i swear to you it was having you know obviously the song was everything to me and it was just I was in the moment and the moment yeah. and the, the it was if the transistor radio wasn't on it, it, it came on. And I, I think Roy Orbison was singing. That's, uh, that's, that's awesome. That is a great story. Uh, if someone Thank wants you. to reach you, what's the best way? Are you on oh, social hey. media? Uh, I, I, I'm up on Facebook. Um, okay. you'll find me there. You'll find my sort of, uh, radio broadcasts I tend to post on there. My name is Sean Rowley, S-E-A-N-R-O-W-L-E-Y. Uh, you can connect also through Guilty Pleasures, my club brand uh, that I operate as well. Okay, very nice. Um, Thank you. That sounds great. This has been so much fun. We will have to do it again. Jesse, I, uh, I, I can't thank you enough. That was it's it just just to be able to. Now it's so lovely, as I said before. It's usually I'm listening in, and it's like I feel like I want to contribute to the conversation. I'm now in the conversation. Oh, well, I love it, and you are welcome anytime. Uh, listeners, go get vaccinated, go get boosted, and let's be kind to each other because that's how we're going to get through this. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, listeners. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Doing a podcast at times can be a one-way conversation, and I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter, at setlustingbruce, and my personal Twitter is at jessejacksondfw. We have a website, www.setlessingbruce.com. From there, you can find links to other Springsteen podcasts, as well as other music-themed podcasts. We have a page devoted to our own SLB All-Star Band. 
These are guests who have been on the podcast more than three times. There is a link to our store where you can purchase Set Lessing Brew shirts, as well as a Mary Question t-shirt. There is a link to our Patreon page where you can sign up to help support the podcast financially. We have different levels and different rewards based on your support. If you don't have any extra cash, and right now who does, you can support the podcast by subscribing via your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find us. And please tell a friend about the podcast, especially if they love Bruce or music, because it will make a difference. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only. Said listening Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.